The Dr. Taz Show. The podcast, Dr. Taz. Superwoman Wellness. Here's Dr. Taz. Welcome back, everyone. Welcome back to this episode of Superwoman Wellness, where you know I am determined to bring you back to your superpowered self. Joining me today is somebody that I absolutely adore. I have Seamus Mullen with me. You may have heard of him. He's an award-winning New York chef, and I've got to look at this because I don't want to miss any of his amazing accomplishments. A restaurateur, a cookbook author, and he's known for his inventive yet approachable Spanish cuisine. He's also a leading authority on health and wellness. He opened his first solo restaurant, Tertulia, I hope I said that correctly, in Manhattan in 2011, which was awarded two stars from the New York Times and was a finalist for the James Beard Foundation Award for Best New Restaurant. In 2013, he opened El Colmado, oh my goodness, I need to take my Spanish again, a Spanish tapas and wine bar (laughs) at Gotham West Market, a food hall in New York's Hell's Kitchen. More recently though, Seamus, you've become a leading authority on food, health, and wellness. I'm going to let you tell that story instead of me just reading it from here. How did you go from famous cook with amazing cookbooks and all that stuff into this world of health and wellness, which is, of course, how I know you? Mm -hmm. Well, so I um, well, thank you very much for that lovely intro. And thanks for having me on the show. Um, I spent all of my 20s focusing on on my career and and trying to go up the ranks in, in the restaurant world. And um, as I progressed and my career progressed and I gained some, some notoriety and had a few restaurants in New York City, my health really, really declined. Um, and unfortunately, the industry, the restaurant industry is one where you kind of, it, you put up and shut. So anyway, in the, rest, the restaurant industry, we, we have a tendency to just really, to put your head down and work and, and ignore anything else that's going on. And there's people kind of take a sense of pride in the number of days they've worked about day yep. off and how hard they're working. And, um, and I was no exception. I really did not pay any attention to what was going on in my body um, until I got to the point where my body literally said, uncle, I, you got to stop. You, you, you got to treat, treat me better than you're treating me. And so I, I, um, mm. I was dealing with chronic inflammation on a daily basis. I didn't really know that. All I knew right. was that I would I'd work, you know, 16, 17 hour days and get home and collapse and then start over the next day and do this over and over again. And I just assumed that I felt so terrible because I was working so hard. Um, but eventually I started getting these, these, uh, these really acute attacks in different joints. They started in my, in my right shoulder um, where I would get just tremendous pain in my, in my shoulder joint and I wouldn't be able to move my arm at all. Uh, and I would go to the, I'd go to the ER and they, you know, would give me an x-ray and say, there's nothing wrong with me and send me home. Mm-hmm. And then, and that happened over and over and over again. Um, and then eventually those attacks started happening in other joints. It started in my right shoulder and then it went to my right hand, uh, my knee, uh, my hip, um, mm. and pretty clear there was something systemic going on. Uh, and I was eventually, uh, admitted into the hospital, under observation and diagnosed with rheumatoid arthritis. Um, gotcha. So I had been kind of going through this for a lo- for years. I had been going through mm-hmm. kind of low-level systemic inflammation, dealing with an autoimmune disease. I knew nothing about autoimmune dysfunction. I didn't, even though I knew a lot about food, I I know about the correlation between food and and systemic health. Um, and then I went down the conventional path of treatment, which was to uh, to I started with Plaquenil, um, which is a malaria drug yep. that's been used um, for many years to treat RA. And then it went from there to NSAIDs, 
uh, methotrexate, which is a chemotherapy drug, mm -hmm. um, and then eventually to biologic drugs, which are immunosuppressants. Um, and while these drugs did help to suppress the acute inflammation, um, I started dealing with all sorts of other secondary issues as a result of the drugs. Right. Um, and my general health just went from like being pretty poor to being terrible. Mm. Uh, and I kind of hit rock bottom in 2012 when I, I got an infection that spread to my brain um, and I got bacterial meningitis and I actually died in the ICU. Oh my gosh. So that was kind of, that was when I realized that if I didn't make a change and, it, and the odd thing is like, I'm not a terrifically religious person. Yeah. Uh, but in that experience, I really realized that there is something greater than who we are and uh, that we also as humans have a tremendous amount of, of, of control over our autonomic nervous system that we don't really realize right. that we still have. And I, I very specifically remember in this state of sort of, I call it conscious unconsciousness, where I, I was dying, but I was aware of the fact that I was dying. And I had this kind of internal dialogue and decided, I'm not going to die. Huh. And that was, that was, that was where things changed for me. Wow. What a story. So you remember that moment. You remember do, yeah. potentially leaving and then making a conscious choice to stay, you know, so many, so your story, I've heard, first of all, your story of inflammation, your story of rheumatoid arthritis, and then the journey to get answers. I've heard from so many people in my career of doing this type of work. And it's, you know, it breaks my heart quite honestly to see people struggle to, to get, to get there. But I feel like your story is even more profound because you had this moment that a lot of people never get, they never get the opportunity to make a conscious decision, to embrace life, right. to jump in yeah. full force, to choose, you know, whatever's going on. So I think in some ways that's a gift, right? How did you use that gift? And, and what did, what was your intention coming out of that? What, how did your course change after that yeah. moment? Well, you know, it, it, you, you mentioned something that totally resonates with what my experience was, which is that in going through this state of suffering, um, in many ways, I was really fortunate to have that because so many people go through low grade inflammation or they go through um, systemic pain for years and years and years. And they sort of accept that as a, as a state of normalcy. Mm -hmm. And for me, I really had to be, I mean, I was like in the face of the frying pan where for a long time I was kind of thinking, well, this is all right. You know, the doctor said I'll be on medication for the rest of my life. I guess this is the hand of cards I've been dealt. Um, but really having that moment of being confronted with the, with, with my own mortality uh, really gave me an opportunity to, to examine what it meant to be alive mm -hmm. and realize that I was actually not living as much as I thought I was living. I was just kind of getting by. Um, and so, you know, it wasn't like an overnight uh, experience where I suddenly was like, oh, well, now I'm going to live my best life. It was literally like, okay, I have been given an opportunity to not die. What am I going to do with this opportunity? Um, and I made a commitment to myself and to the people around me to really do anything and everything I could to start to exercise some autonomy over my health. Um, and there's a great Buddhist teaching that says when the student is ready, the teacher arrives mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. the teacher appears. And, um, and that's really what happened with me. I mean, I finally, I was ready to actually stop making half-assed attempts at, at taking care of myself because what I'd done for a really long time was, oh, I'll try going gluten-free right. or I'll eat 
turmeric or, you know, have a green smoothie. And then I would still like shit. And I'd say, well, see, this doesn't work. Well, talk, yeah, doesn't work. yeah, talk to me. Cause again, I think people get stuck there, right? They get really stuck. Yeah. Well, that doesn't work. This is not real. And I have what you just said. We have about seven conversations to have around what you just said, but we'll start, we'll start here. <laughs> so, okay. um, you know, what would you say to the person out there who is in that space where, well, I tried X, Y, and Z, it simply didn't work. The stuff is not real. You know, what, 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 what made that shift for you? What helped you? Um, I was tremendously lucky in that I had, uh, I had the support of a doctor, somebody very much like you, you probably know Dr. Frank Lippman. Oh yes. And, I love him. Yeah. So, yeah. Frank is wonderful. And he, um, he was, and this is where I think the real value of, 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 um, of community really kind of, uh, coalesces. This is so important to me. He kept telling me, listen, you have to trust me. You are going to feel better. You have to trust me. You're going to feel better. And he kept saying, I don't know how much better you're going to feel, but there, there is no disease that does not benefit from a healthy relationship with food. Yes. There's no disease that does not benefit from you caring for yourself and putting your own health forward. So he just having him as kind of a cheerleader for me um, and to tell me, listen, we'll try this. We'll try this. If that doesn't work, we'll try something else, but we're not going to stop. You're going to feel better. Um, that was, that was hugely important to me because I, I actually finally had someone, a healthcare professional who was saying, we can make some inroads and we can make progress. Um, and you can do a lot of the work, which to me was incredibly empowering because for so long I felt very much as though I was kind of at the mercy of the, of the medical yes. um, community that, that, you know, there was nothing I could do other than just take the meds. And if I was taking the meds, like if I went to the doctor's office and the doctor gave me the pill and I took the pill, then I could go about doing everything else in my life the way I'd always been doing it. And I had done my part. But what Frank really helped me understand was nobody was going to advocate for my own health as much as I could. And nobody could actually make as much improvement in my health as I could. That those choices I made every day, yeah. small individual's choice was going to impact the the course of my well-being. So having having somebody around me, and that's where I really see the value of community, of health coaches, of of doctors in all capacities. Um, and and your doctor can be. I mean, doctor literally means teacher. Mm -hmm. Your doctor can be your dog. Mm -hmm. You can be your doctor. Your doctor can be your kid. There are so many different ways that you can find doctors in your life and recruit them for different aspects. So. You know, when I say that your dog can be your doctor, I mean, your dog can be a reminder to take pause and to appreciate the moment and to accept unconditional love. Uh, and, and that can be just as important as making sure that you're drinking, you know, 10 glasses of water a day. Absolutely. Just as important as making sure that you're eating a balanced meal. Like all of those elements are so, so incredibly important. Nothing exists in the human body in isolation. Um, and so that was, you know, I was, I, again, I was just so fortunate to have people like Frank in my life, to have my family, my team um, surround me and to give me a lot of support. And that's what really enabled me to do it. So I was able to focus on making sure that I was doing the work and doing the right things on my own. Um, and, and that, you know, uh, for people that are struggling with, with chronic issues of inflammation or, or, or autoimmune dysfunction, it's incredibly important to be able to recruit your team around you and get your team on board. 
I think that's such an incredible story. And quite honestly, I can't wait to go back to my son and let him know that our dog can be, can be, the, doctor. Can be the doctor. He had, we just got a dog in this whole quarantine mess and oh, good. ever he's been arguing with me. I didn't think I was a dog mom, but he's been like, mom, what's dog backward? I'm like, I don't know. He goes, it's God. You know? <laughs> so I was like, ah, but anyhow, but all jokes aside, you know, I think that community and connection is so important in the healing process. We were not meant to live alone. We were not meant to be alone. And I think it sounds like that's what ultimately healed you. I have so many questions for you, but the first one before, because I know the next one's going to take up all our time, but the first one is, you know, what did that change in your business world? What did that change when it came to your restaurants and to your craft and things like that? Did that have a shift there as well? Yeah, I know it definitely did. And, and it's, um, you know, it's, 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 unfortunate uh that in the world that we live in particularly in the world of restaurants it's very difficult to have a healthy business and to lead a healthy lifestyle yes it's extremely difficult i mean if you think about it just logistically as a restaurant oh, yes uh, there the people that work in restaurants don't eat on the same schedule as people who are going to restaurants for 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 um for fun or for you know for, for pleasure they're forced to eat at very odd hours, which in my case meant um, I, I might have eaten some food standing up at four, four in the afternoon mm. out of a port container while doing 16 other things. And then throughout the course of dinner service, I was probably eating, you know, tasting things as I needed to taste them throughout the course of dinner service. And I was never really hungry, but I was never not hungry. And then at the end of dinner service at midnight, I suddenly was really hungry. So the first thing I'd want to do to wind down is to have a drink. And then once I'd have a drink, then there was a second drink. And then suddenly I was making bad decisions around food. And now it's four in the morning and I'm just getting to bed on a full stomach. So it's, it's, um, you know, that, that in and of itself, and that's a very minor piece of the, of the, the unhealthy equation right. that in and of itself makes it very difficult. So it was, um, uh, I had to in, behaviorally in the restaurant in terms of how I worked, I had to, create a schedule for myself, which meant I needed to eat regularly um, and I needed to eat well. And I needed to do that despite the the schedule of, of my work schedule. So that meant parsing out time and saying, okay, this is when I'm eating lunch and this is what my lunch looks like. This is when I'm eating dinner. And I was lucky to be able to do that because I had a, a staff. Um, but then in terms of how the, the restaurant itself, it made me start to reorganize and, and reevaluate all the decisions that I was making from the restaurant. I've, I grew up in the world of farm to table cooking. It's, right. um, uh-huh. it's, it's an anomaly. I mean, I, you know, I, to me, I, I can't even imagine in when I was cooking, I, I'm in California now, but when I was cooking in the, in the Northeast, I would never have thought to put asparagus on the menu in January, mm-hmm. even though asparagus is available. That to me is something that just, I can't even imagine doing it because I grew up in this world where you cook what is in season and what is local. Um, so I was already making good decisions around the ingredients for the most part, uh, seasonality, using organic wherever possible, working with local producers. Um, but I realized that that's only, that's one, one step to really understand the relationship, a positive relationship with food means to understand how different foods impact us. So, you know, there's certain things that it doesn't matter. For instance, sugar, organic sugar is still, <laughs> still sugar. sugar. Yes. Yeah, so, I, so I started to, I started to reevaluate right. okay, where are the places that we have things that are, that are naturally inflammatory. Right. Organic canola oil is still canola right. oil. So 
stripping out the the uh, the inflammatory toxic oils from from the menu was a, was a first step. Reducing the amount of of, um, of refined sugar and eventually eliminating all refined sugar from from our menus. Um, reducing, for instance, I mean, little behavioral changes. Um, for instance, instead of bringing bread to every table, not bringing bread to a table unless somebody asked. Mm-hmm. It, asked. Um, then, of course, the choices we made around the bread, making sure that we were using bread that was made from biodynamic grains that was naturally fermented. Um, does that mean it's healthy? Not in my book, but I think it's a better choice. So trying to take those um, those areas that could have been inflammatory within the menu and just uh, replace them with better better quality ingredients, uh, making better choices. Um, and and I think that that's you know that was that was a, a fundamental change for me. Um, one of the things that I struggled with for years, um, and and now this is going to be given the circumstances and the situation we're in right now, right. where I, I think very few industries are being hit as hard as the restaurant right. industry by the the pandemic crisis of COVID nineteen. Um, the 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 sad reality is that it's very difficult to run a business like a restaurant business and have your business be healthy without your health suffering. Right. So this this really sword. Yeah, it's very hard. I mean, I'm sure you find even as a healthcare practitioner, you have to remind yourself of the importance of taking care. Oh, of I get own. sucked in all the time. Are you kidding? I mean, yeah. it's I run a uh, you know I have a pretty decent. I mean, it's not a huge company, but we have. 50 people that I'm responsible for right now. My husband has 30, you know, and, you know, to be shut down and to not be able to work. And I, I know you guys are going through the same thing. It has really huge ramifications yeah. for us. And so all of last week, you know, cause we're talking right in the middle of this whole uh, COVID-19 crisis. I feel like right when we're coming off a week where it, the country just it like, there's a light switch that went off for everybody. Yeah. Um, yeah like last week was horrific. It was horrific. I mean, I don't think I followed one health habit that I, I believe in, you know, whether it was sleep or food or exercise or any of it. And I remember by the end of that week, waking up Saturday morning, just being like, I feel like I've been running by a truck, you know, and I'm slowly coming out of it. Right. We go through the different stages from denial to anger, to grief, like all this other stuff. But, um, I don't know. I mean, you know, as I'm listening to your story and applying it to our current times, there's so many lessons there. You know, there's the lesson about what is living, you know, what is isolation and is that really healthy and good for us? You know, many of many people that are going to be listening to this in the next week or two are going to be in quarantine. They are isolated. They are removed from their community, from their structure, from their way of life. You know, there's the medical system that I'm watching unfold that you just described in your journey of trying to get answers that I also went through in my journey to get answers. And just, you know, it's there's a whole lot wrapped up right now. And then on top of that, I was looking, and you probably have seen this too, like whereas most of the country was actually on an upswing of being healthier and making healthier yeah. choices, what this has done is like switched an emotional trigger in everybody. And people are mm-hmm. stocking up on like spam and, you know, Oreos and all the stuff that we haven't even talked about probably for 20 years, you know? So I think this is wreaking havoc on everyone. I think as a survivor, someone who's kind of been in a battle like what would you say to folks who they're like look like we believe in healthy food but right now I'm worried about my job and I'm worried about like running out of food you know which in this country who would have thought that we'd be having I mean I feel like I'm in a really bad movie quite honestly but what would you what would you say to folks about about their feelings around food right now but more importantly their feelings around 
angry at maybe the medical system, you know, anger at just what's happening, feeling isolated. I mean, as somebody who's really been through some tough battles of your own, what would you tell them? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really hard. You know, we, we are facing as a nation for the first time in modern history, the potential of food scarcity. Um, and, and this obviously being driven mostly by, uh, the, by, by the, 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 the need to isolate. Right. Um, it means our food producers need to isolate the people that are working in farms. I mean, I, I speak to all of my colleagues. I no longer have restaurants now, but I speak to my co colleagues in the restaurant world and the downstream effect of people not going to restaurants is, is massive. Mm -hmm. if you think about the, most of the suppliers that, that, that provide, um, uh, raw materials to restaurants, they're not, they're not, they don't have the infrastructure or the connections to provide to supermarkets. So they're, they're not able to pivot mm. to being direct to consumer or to provide the supermarket. Think of that. So, wow. Yeah. So it's point that's what is that's going to continue to drive um, this idea of isolation and the potential for food scarcity. And so I think it is it's really important to acknowledge that that's a reality that we're in right now. And I don't know how long nobody knows how long it's going to last for. Um, but it, more than ever now is the time to recognize that our relationship with food is uh, fundamental because I think for for a long time, we did get to a point where we took the presence of food or food-like products for granted. For granted, right. And, and so many of the, I mean, the, the worst quality, most calorically laden, nutrient-deficient nutri nutri um, nutrient foods have been the most accessible. And unfortunately, those are also the ones that are the least perishable, mm -hmm. so they're going to continue to be accessible. Um, but that doesn't mean that now is the time to uh, to go in one direction, which is to just completely hoard spam and Oreos and all of that right. stuff and be like, okay, my, my relationship with food is out the window. But at the same time, it's not the time to also be didactic about it, to give yourself a break and to be, and, and to cut yourself some slack and understand, listen, we all, I think in many ways, everyone is an emotional eater. Mm -hmm. There's a comfort that comes with food that's ingrained. We have a primordial response because having food means that we're safe. You know, our ancestors hundreds of thousands of years ago that didn't have the same sorts of access to, to, um, to calories, uh, when calories were available, we hoarded them. And so there's this emotional response that's built into our DNA that says, okay, food is here. That's comforting. And I think it's important to acknowledge that and to be okay with that. Um, and cut ourselves some slack because we are in unusual times right now. We're in uncharted waters. Uh, but at the same time, I think it's also an opportunity. And I, I, I don't by any means want to silver linings this right, whole situation. Right, right. Um, but it is an opportunity to, uh, to slow down. It is an opportunity to reconnect with our immediate family. Mm -hmm. And also through safe, um, I mean, fortunately, we're in a world where we, you and I are in completely different states, but we're right. connected um, to maintain those connections, to maintain that 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 um, that web of of community. I think that's incredibly important. And in slowing down, you know, this is the time to learn some of those techniques that from our grandmothers that a lot yep. of us have forgotten: canning, freezing, pickling, making bread, yeah. like yeah. learning to make bread. your own bread. You know, yeah. So yeah, and that's been and that has been like one of the one of the the side effects of. I mean, we've only been in California. We've been in um, we've been in lockdown for ten days. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm already seeing, I mean, people are cooking a lot, mm -hmm. uh, 
you know, they're, they're becoming creative with how they're cooking. I think this is a good opportunity to, to not necessarily throw all your goals and rules out the window, but to also see, you know, okay, well, what can I do? What can I not? I mean, I've seen funny memes like the bread aisle that's completely empty. And then everyone's like, well, suddenly nobody has a gluten allergy anymore. (laughs) But, but, you know, I think it is a, it's an opportunity, um, albeit it's scary, but it is an opportunity to slow down and to reconnect to, um, to cooking. I mean, I, I have so many people that reach out to me and tell me oh, I'm cooking with my daughter. I'm cooking with my mm-hmm. son. They're really excited to, to, to learn how to cook, to learn how to make eggs, to learn how to do things that they've never done before. And I think that's great. I mean, these are, these are skills that our children should know. I mean, I'm very lucky in that I, I cook my whole life. My grandmother's incredible cooks. And so to me, cooking is just intuitive. I've done it all my life. But for so many people, it's it's a it's skill intimidating. It's so intimidating. intimidating. Yeah, they can't yeah. get in there. Yeah. So this is an opportunity to kind of get back to that. Um, but it's also more than anything, and I know this sounds very trite, but it's so important to be kind to yourself in this moment. Like right now, we have to be kind to ourselves. And if for nothing else, because we're in close quarters with many of us, some of us are alone, mm-hmm. but and in which case it's extremely important to be kind to yourself. But if you're in close quarters with, you know, your partner or your kids, tempers are going to, are going to flare, fuses are going to be short. And the more we can do to really be kind to ourselves, the better we will be prepared to be kind to the people that are, you know, we're stuck in close proximity with. I think we're all going to come out very different after this is over. I have seen more people say, quite honestly, the slowdown has been intriguing. It's been eye-opening. You know, children that were behavior issues no longer have behavior issues. Like there's just been this quieting. It's almost like our stress levels were all so high and this has sort of forced everybody into re-examining really what family is, what friendship is. I've been picking up the phone. I haven't, you know, I've been horrible. I've been picking up the phone and calling friends and trying to reconnect and you know, I think it's just forced us all to reevaluate what's really important, you know, but, but it has been taxing. And I think the one thing too, that I would love everybody to learn from you is that even when we're talking about this virus and what we should and should not be doing for Mm COVID-19, what I'm seeing on my end from a medical perspective is that it's the undercurrent of inflammation that is taxing the immune system. And as a planet, if we can shift, you know, to understanding what is triggering inflammation and what is not triggering inflammation, I do think we'll have a healthier planet. And I think it plays a role in what's happening here. And so for the family that's out there or for somebody who's out there and they're like, well, I don't know, you know, I'm, I don't know where to start when it comes to having a healthy relationship with food and trying to learn food. What would you tell them to do right now, knowing that, you know, they can't go pick out the most exotic ingredients, but maybe they can start somewhere. Where would you have them start? Yeah, well, I to, to quote my girlfriend, who's always very, very smart, and she says, you know, never waste a good crisis. Mm-hmm. So the crisis is an opportunity here. This is, you know, the, I, I think the Chinese character for crisis and opportunity is actually the same character. Yep. So mm-hmm. we use this as opportunity. Um, this is an opportunity to learn something new. An opportunity to 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 learn to cook a new dish. If you're not, if if cooking is something that's intimidating, that's the place to start. I mean, it's not about whether or not what you know what your dosha is, or whether you should be eating dairy or not eating dairy, or whether you know you you, you nightshades are are inflammatory. Right. You got to <laughs> This is not the time to worry about that. It's the time to start with the very basics, learning the cooking skill. That's the very beginning. I mean, just making sure that you're actually cooking. That's the 
Just get in there. Just get in there and have fun. And make something from, from, you know, ideally you're making it from scratch. You're making it from real food, real ingredients. Um, And, you know, we know that amazing things happen when families cook and eat together. Um, That in and of itself is enough to bring inflammation down. That in and of itself is to bring um, health markers up. Just the act of, because we're social creatures and we historically have always eaten socially, but what's happened for so many people um, in recent years is that we don't, you know, we eat our meals without actually interfacing with other people, but rather with a device or on our own or in a car. We're not actually taking a moment of pause. Um, And that moment of pause, an amazing thing happens. One, when you're eating with someone else, you eat much more slowly. Mm -hmm. You're more reflective you're forced to be more reflective about the food that you're eating because if something is really freaking good, you have someone to share that with. Right. Like, oh my god, this is so good! So it, it gives you a moment to actually take to 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 take pause, take stock of what you're what, what's happening in your life in that very moment, and actually appreciate it rather than mindlessly shoveling food in. So um, I think that's a that's a real start, and I, I love the idea of particularly while we're in this this state of quarantine. Um, to break out the day through schedule. So, mm-hmm. so important. what am I going to do? What, what are we having for lunch? What are we having for dinner? Okay, so I'm going to do this work and then I'm going to take a break and I'm going to do this exercise and then I'm going to prep for, for, for this meal. And you kind of blocking out and giving yourself tasks throughout the course of the day. Um, that structure, I think, is hugely important because what, what often happens for us is that we, um, we just get stuck in sort of an amorphous uh, work day when we're when we're at home, and we're not doing, um, we're not giving ourselves structure and having some structure, uh, and cooking is a great way to have structure because one, cooking requires structure. Right. If you're following, if you're following a recipe, there's a structure to the recipe. If you're improvising, there's a structure to what you're doing, um, and that's that's hugely beneficial. And then the other thing I would really encourage folks to do, particularly if cooking is intimidating and you have kids. Great opportunity to get your kids involved. In yes, they have fun in there. They love it. It's a it's um it's a it's a wonderful bonding activity. It's very empowering to kids as well, um, and it really gives a sense of accomplishment and pride. I love all of those, and I and one thing I've noticed too, being home a little bit more, is that for some of us, thinking about food three and four times a day is stressful. Like, what am I going to make them for dinner? What am I going to make them for breakfast? So even like planning that out in the morning and knocking it all out, or at least having a plan in your head takes away the stress of like, what's, what are we going to make now? What are we going to do now? So that's something else that might be helpful. But my kids have been in the kitchen and baking and cooking and even gardening to a certain extent and trying to enjoy, you know, this time, what are you hoping? I know our time's almost up, but I do want to, two things. Like, what are you hoping that we'll all learn from this experience? What are, What's your thought on all of this yeah. as we come out of it or hopefully come out of it? Yeah. I mean, there's, well, we're going to come out of yeah. it. I mean, that's, yeah. we, we, uh, human beings are like cockroaches. We always, <laughs> we'll survive. find a way. <laughs> so, yeah. But, um, and I mean that in the best of way, it was no, not a disparaging yeah. statement. Yeah. Um, but, uh, I think that, I mean, one of the things that I really do hope that comes out of this is, um, a greater sense of compassion that somehow in, in all of this, we as a species can come together mm-hmm. more closely. Um, there's, there's, there's a real understanding that we are connected and this yes. for, better, for better or for worse, contagion is a reflection of connection. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
And contagion has such a negative um, connotation. And I think that we have an opportunity to turn this on its head and think of this in terms of like the contagion of, 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 of compassion, the contagion of health. What, what are the ways that we can, we can spread um, uh, we can spread a message of, of, of compassion. I think that's hugely important. Um, and then I think, you know, one of the, the other things that hopefully will come out of this, and I, I, I think this will happen, the longer this goes on, the greater the probability of this is that we'll come out with a reflection of doing things differently than we've been doing them. Um, you mentioned the, that, and, and, and my friend, Dr. Alejandro Younger talks about this a lot, is that the earth as sort of an, as an organism, as a single body, and in the way that a body that's suffering from autoimmune dysfunction, the earth is suffering from autoimmune dysfunction, that we, uh, we in many ways are the pathogens that are, that are driving this. And so we have an opportunity to reevaluate um, how we are living our lives as stewards of this planet because we're not doing a very good job of it. And what does that mean? You know, if we are, if we are truly following the, the current systems of agriculture, if we really are truly looking at 60 more harvests before we've completely depleted the soil, then we need to change the way we're doing things. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that that's where coming out of this, a bit of a slowdown, a bit of a reconnection to traditional me methods of agriculture, like um, regenerative biodynamic farming, which can be done at scale and they can be done um, uh, economically at scale. In fact, they, they, and there are a lot of models that show that it is actually not only better for the planet, but also cheaper for the farmer to practice regenerative agriculture. It just requires a shift. So I'm hoping that when we come out of this, um, in many ways, this can be a bit of a clearing and say, okay, well, we got to clearly shit's out of hand and we got to make some changes. And, um, and, and hopefully that we can, we can as, as, a, as a global community, we can come closer from this. Uh, I think the tendency, um, particularly in the world that we live in right now, which is very polarized, the tendency is to be much more xenophobic. Yeah. And my hope is that uh, in going through this global crisis as, as a species, we can actually go in the opposite direction and the, the, the contraction can bring us back together. I'm with you on all of it. I've been struck by how this is a global crisis. We are unified and that we are all dealing with it. There's no separators. It's not by race, not by ethnicity. It is not by, even not really by gender, to, you know, other than maybe a few little details here and there, but it is across the globe. I've got people reaching out to me from every corner of the world. And that's what's in my heart. Like this is a message, you know, this is a message that we are a global family. What one of us does impacts the other. We have to shift how we think. And when we come out of this, we have to make sure that we've got people in power and in the right places who have that mentality as well, or we're going to continue to suffer as a people, you know, as a global people. So if folks want to get in touch with you, where do they find you and all your great books and your resources and all that other stuff? Yeah, everything is really available on my website. Um, or you can follow me on, on social media. And it's very simple. It's my name, Seamus Mullen. Uh, so my website is Seamus Mullen, S-E-A-M-U-S-M-U-L-L-E-N.com. And my social media is at Seamus Mullen. So that's the best Made it pretty easy. There. You yeah. can't forget that, guys. Well, thank got, you. We've got a weird, weird name. You know, it's easy works, to get those. Works for you, for sure. Well, thank you so much for taking time out today. Make it through this quarantine. I, I know we're all going to get through it as well. And hopefully we'll come out better 
on the other side of it. But I really, really appreciate it. And for everybody else, thank you for joining me on this episode of Superwomen Wellness. Please know that we are all in this wellness community thinking about you guys, rooting for you, praying for you, and hoping that we can all collectively get through this crisis together. Remember that uh, the Superwoman Wellness Show is on Spotify as well, so you can rate and review it and share it with your friends. And I will see you guys next time.